Will you please turn to Galatians? Galatians chapter 4. Verse 19. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My children, of whom I again travail in birth, until Christ shall have been formed in you. And then will you please turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11. He that is our Lord Jesus, he shall see of the fruit of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant instruct many in righteousness, and he shall bear their iniquities. And finally, the Gospel according to John. John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 21. A woman, when she gives birth to a child, has grief, because her hour has come. But when the child is born, she no longer remembers the trouble, on account of the joy that a man has been born into this world. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we praise and thank Thee for gathering us together here this morning. It is truly the prayer of our hearts that there is nothing between us and Thee. We praise and thank Thee that Thou hast accomplish that full salvation and there is no reason why there should be any distance. So Lord, we just cast ourselves upon Thee believing that Thou dost remove every distance between us and Thee. And Thou hast drawn us into Thy very presence that we may see thy glory, we may hear thy voice. And by thy spirit we may be transformed and be conformed to the image of thy beloved Son. Dear Lord, we do confess that this theme is beyond us. But we praise and thank thee knowing that Thou who has called us is faithful, and thou wilt perform and perfect that which thou hast begun in us. And with this, we commit ourselves to thee for this time. May thy name be glorified. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I have to confess, when I first heard that the theme of this conference is spiritual travail, I was frightened. <laughs> because immediately there arose in my mind Moses. He who pleaded before God for the children of Israel and he was willing 
even to have his name blotted out from the tree for the book of life for the sake of the people. Then I thought of the Apostle Paul. How he travailed before God. And how he travailed even for his own kinsmen. And willing even to have his name brought out from the book of life for his brethren's sake. And as our brother mentioned last night, people like Elijah, like Daniel, and also it rose in my mind the praying Heidi of India. How he prayed before God. And also Reese Howells of South Wales, the intercessor. So when these pictures rose in my mind, I trembled. Who am I to talk about spiritual travail? How much do we really know what is spiritual travail? And more than that, how much we are involved in the spiritual prevail? Is it too high for us? Too deep for us? It is something beyond us that we should not talk about. Then, the Lord comforted me. He told me that I am the fruit of the travail of his soul. And not only I am the fruit of his travail, but I can recall there are people who travail in prayer before God for me. And here I am. You, re you remember in history, there was a famous person, St. Augustine. He was a young man, brilliant. He was a professor of rhetoric in the university. And at that time, professor of rhetoric is the highest rank in the university. But he lived a very dissipated life. But thank God, he had a mother, Monica. It is the prayers and the tears of his mother that brought him back to the Savior. Brothers and sisters, thank God we are all the fruit of the travail of the soul of our Lord Jesus. If he does not travail for us, where will we be? And probably you can all also recall the story of how you came to the Lord. Maybe your parents, maybe some friend, maybe someone who knew you, and they are pleading before God for you. And today, you are the fruit of the travail of their soul. So when I'm thinking of these things, it really encouraged me. And I begin to think, why spiritual travail? Is it that important? It is, is it necessary? Absolutely needed? 
in every one of us? Is it just for a few select ones? Like Howard Reese. Reese Howard, praying Heidi, Paul, Moses. Is it their exclusive rights or favor God has given to them? And who are we even to talk about spiritual travail? Not to say to really engage in spiritual travail. It is something just for a select few. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, is it for us common brothers and sisters, every one of us, that we must be engaged in spiritual travail? Why? Because it is the will of God. The one who travailed for our salvation, he has put his life in us. And that life has the travailing element in us. And he has put his spirit in us. And his spirit pleaded within us, in our spirit, helping us in this matter of spiritual travail. So, dear brothers and sisters, let us remember that this spiritual travail is not for something, someone who has reached a certain spiritual stature. Then they will be engaged in spiritual travel, travail. We Maybe just a babe in Christ, maybe just saved, we too should begin to learn this lesson of spiritual travail. It should be the mark of every believer because it is God's will. God wants each and every one of us whom he has justified, he will glorify it. Each and every one of us, not only saved, but to be conformed to the image of his beloved Son. But we ask the question, how? He has begun a good work in us. How is he going to complete it? And in completing it, is there any Anything that he requires, he demands of us that we should be engaged with. And as I think of these things, I begin to realize that spiritual travail is a calling, a calling to every believer from the littlest one to the greatest one. Do not be intimidated by some few brothers and sisters who has reached such a height of their experience in spiritual travail. And then you do not even begin to travail in your spirit. So, brothers and sisters, with that, I'm encouraged, and I do hope that every one of us will be encouraged. Do not ever, when you are listening to this message of spiritual travail, you say, this is not for me. This is only for those who have reached certain spiritual stature. Yes, the more you grow in the Lord, the deeper spiritual travail will be your experience. But if you do not begin from the very beginning, 
you will not reach there. So I'm encouraged all brothers and sisters, especially young people, that you will open your heart, believing that the one who travailed for you on Calvary's cross, his life is in you, and his life is a life of travailing. And we need to allow that life to really grow in each and every one of us. I'm thinking especially the imminent return of our Lord Jesus. Why is it we have waited for 20 centuries for his return? We are now in the beginning of the 21st century. Why? Why the delay? Dear brothers and sisters, the fault, the reason, does not lie with our Lord Jesus. Every bridegroom is anxious to receive his bride. It is the bride who is not prepared. Can it be that the reason why the church, the bride of our Lord Jesus, has not been ready for him, even for 20 centuries. Why? Is it because there is the missing, the lack of spiritual travail? God's people receive the grace of God and do not allow that grace to work in our lives and make us gracious that we may be able to hasten the return of the Lord. The responsibility is upon us. And I'm afraid the reason for it is the lack of spiritual travail. Because we do not have that spiritual travail we do not grow spiritually. Because we do not have the spiritual travail, people are not saved. Because we do not have spiritual travail, the body is not completed. Is it because of us? Because of the lack of spiritual travail? So, dear brothers and sisters, I do hope that every brother and sister who are here, especially the young people, I hope that you will really see the importance, the urgency. I would say God is pleading for you to be engaged in his heart travail so that his perfect will will be completed. I feel that I would like to share with you dear brothers and sisters on this matter of spiritual travail from the very bottom. What is spiritual travail? How can we be engaged in this spiritual travail? If you look into the dictionary, you will find the word travail in the dictionary it says, it is a physical 
or mental exertion, effort, trial, and it is usually accompanied by tribulation, anguish, agony, and it is also describing childbirth. Now thank God, in the Greek original, you will find the same thought there. It is a travail, an exercise within our spirit, and it is tribulation, suffering, agony, but thank God it results in birth. Now if it's terror, travail, without giving birth, then it's a terrible thing. But when you think that travailing will lead to birth, isn't that promising? So I remember when our Lord Jesus was with his disciples before his crucifixion. After he has instituted the Lord's table, how he said, this is my body for you. This do, in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and blessed it. And said, this is the blood that sealed the covenant, the new covenant. Remember this. And after the Lord's Supper, he conversed with his disciples. The disciples were sorrowful because they sensed something is going to happen. They sensed that our Lord Jesus is leaving them. They have left everything to follow the Lord. And now, the Lord is leaving them. So our Lord Jesus tried to comfort them and said, Do not be grieved. I will leave you, but I will come again. Then he said, You will be grieved. The world will be happy. But just like a woman, when she is in travail, there was pain, there was grief for a time. But after a child is born, all these will be forgotten. And he will, she will rejoice because a man is born into this world. So brothers and sisters, when we think of spiritual travail, it is something very positive. It is something that will bring us into birth. Then I begin to think, our Lord Jesus said, in the world you have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Now everyone who is born into this world is going through tribulation. Now if you remember the wisest of men, Solomon, he wrote a book called Ecclesiastics. He became a preacher. 
And what is the message that he preached? Out of his great wisdom and through all his manifold experiences, he told us that he tried everything under the sun. And then he wrote this book, the book of Ecclesiastics. It described the world and worldly travail. Everybody is travailing. Not only Christians, non-Christians. The world itself is in travail. And if you will turn with me to Ecclesiastes, I will just mention a few what he said. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now listen to what he said, especially young people. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Verse 8. All things are full of toil. None can express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear feel with hearing. Verse 11. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be remembrance of things that are to come with those who shall live afterwards. Eighteen. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. Chapter 2, verse 11. Then I look on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that it had cost me to do them. And behold, all was vanity and pursuit of the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. And 22, uh, 23. Uh, well, we can begin with 22. Chapter 2, 22. For what will man have of all his labor and of the trying, strivings of his heart? wherewith he has wearied himself under the sun. For all his days are sorrows, and his travail vexation. Even in the night his heart taketh no rest. This also is vanity. The whole book describes what worldly travail is. Everybody is travailing. Everybody is exercising. Everybody is in pain. But what is the result? If you travail for the world, it does not give birth. On the contrary, it produces death. Now that is worldly travail. Now are you in that category? We shouldn't. But thank God, he has Remove us out of this world and put us in the kingdom of the Son of His love. 
So our travail is a different kind of travail. It is called spiritual travail. And this spiritual travail results in birth. So that's why every believer should be involved in this spiritual travail. Brothers and sisters, we are the fruit of the travail of God. Now there is something that I often wonder. Is it necessary that with travail for birth that has to be pain, suffering, anguish, agony, God is love. And because he loves us, he travails. But in the very beginning, when he created the heavens and the earth, Did it cause God suffering, pain, tribulation? Then I think of when God put Adam to sleep and out of his size he took out something of Adam to build a woman. Now we often say that is the first operation in the world. But it is a painless operation. Because God put Adam to sleep. There was no pain involved. Where does that pain that always accompanied travail come from? You remember when Adam and Eve sinned against God and God came into the garden and God pronounced his judgment. So in Genesis chapter 3 verse 16 what does it say? What is the judgment upon the woman? God said he will increase her travail and pregnancy and in pain he shall bring forth children. So I wonder whether that is where these two things are being related. That there must be pain in travailing for birth. Is it because there is sin in this world? And when sin comes in, the scene is totally different. So it becomes a universal law. Wherever there is travail, there is pain. Put it in another way. Where there is no suffering, there is no birth. And this has become a universal law. This is the reason why travail always is accompanied with suffering. Now on that, let us think of how our God has travailed for us. 
for our salvation. You know, we are so familiar with John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Everything begins with the love of God. If there is no love, there is no suffering. God so loved the world, and the world here is especially referred to the people in this world. God so loved the people he has created that he gave his only begotten son. Think for a moment God has only one begotten Son. They were together from the very beginning. They were not only equal, but they were one. They have never left each other. They love each other, they understand each other, in everything they are in perfect harmony. And this love between them is increasing. And it is out of that love for his beloved son that he created the universe and especially man. You know, man is a special creation of God because there is nothing created after his image according to his likeness. Everything is created by God, but it is created by his wisdom, by his power, Only man in the whole universe is created in his own image after his own likeness. Why? It is because he wants to give man to be his son's life companion. And in order to be his son's life companion, he has to be like his son. Otherwise, they do not fit. So it is out of love that God created man. But unfortunately, we as human beings who receive the greatest gift of God, in creation, we rebel against him. And because of this, we are separated from God. We even turn ourselves against God as his enemies. How we sin against him. The Bible tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is himself. We come short of his glory because we do not like him. We are the very opposite of what he is. And that hurts him more than anything else. You know, brothers and sisters, sometimes when we are preaching the gospel to unbelievers, we usually mention Romans chapter 1, listing all these 
terrible sins that men have committed in order to convince men that they are sinful. But what does the Bible say? The Bible said for sin because they do not believe in me. That's the greatest thing in the world. If you do not believe in the Lord Jesus, that's the greatest thing in the world. Because this is the greatest gift God has given to man. And everything is involved there. And if you resist him, you resist his love. But thank God, he does not forsake us. We who have sinned should be left behind, judged forever. But it is love. It is God's love that he gave us his only begotten son. Think of that. You know, when we are talking about this, you always think of Abraham. Abraham, when he was a hundred years old, he got a son. Now, when you are thirty years old and got a son, how happy you are. And when you are 100 years old and got a son, my, that's the treasure of your heart, Isaac. That gladdens his heart, make him laugh. And then you remember God said, take your son, your only begotten son. Now God makes it very difficult. Go Three days journey. Gave you plenty of time to think. And offer him to me. If you do not know God, you will think that God is so hard. But Abraham knows God. He got up early in the morning, took his son, prepared everything for the sacrifice, and went to Mount Moriah. He was going to sacrifice his son because he loved God more than anything else. And he believed that God will bring Isaac into life. Brothers and sisters, when we read this story, how do you feel? But if you can multiply it millions and billions of times and think of God, what does he feel when he gave his only begotten son to us. His love is billions and billions of times deeper than any human parent. And he's travailing for our souls is willing to give his beloved son, who is incomparable with any human sons or daughters. What a sacrifice. What suffering it must be to God. Throughout the life of our Lord Jesus on earth, Again and again and again, the heavens opened. And a voice came from heaven. 
This is my beloved Son, in whom I have found my delight. You can see how much God loved his beloved Son. And yet, if you read Isaiah 53, verse 10, he says, God crushed him on Calvary's cross. Is it an easy thing to do? The son who has pleased him throughout his life, even throughout eternity, and the father crushed him. No wonder when our Lord Jesus was crucified, from nine o'clock to twelve o'clock. It was man who crucified him. Man mocked him. It was Satan who surrounded him. But during the three hours, our Lord Jesus never say a word about himself. The Father was with him. He can pray forgive them, for they know not what they do. But then the scene suddenly changed. In Matthew chapter 27, he tells us, from 12 o'clock until 3 o'clock, the sun hid his face. There was darkness all around. And it was during that period that our Lord cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Brothers and sisters, the Father turned his face around, not to see the suffering of his beloved son. What love, what sacrifice, what agony, what great pain. And remember, we are the fruit of the travail of God the Father's heart. Then you think of our Lord Jesus himself. He was before his father as his nursery, rejoiced before his father creating all things according to the will of his Father. And yet the Bible tells us, even before the foundation of the world, you can find that in First Peter chapter 1, even before the foundation of the world, he was the Lamb of God. In other words, before God created everything, our Lord Jesus, the beloved Son of God, has already offered himself to be the Lamb of God. Because God knew everything. God knew what would be happen if the world was created, if man was created. What will happen to man? What will happen to this world? God saw it all. May I use human words? God hesitated a little bit. And the son stepped in and said, Father, go ahead. If this is what you want to do, do it. 
I'm willing to offer myself to be the Lamb of God. Our Lord Jesus is the Lamb of God before he came into this world. John the Baptist looked at him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who took away the sin of the world. But even before he came into this world, in eternity past, before time began, before the world was created, he had already offered himself to be the Lamb. Therefore the Bible tells us, he was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It is upon that basis that he had offered himself to the Father to be the Lamb that God began to create the universe. And when the universe began, our Lord Jesus as the Lamb of God was slain from the beginning of the world. Can you imagine the love behind it? Can you imagine the travail, the suffering, the pain, the anguish, the sorrow? And yet, in the fullness of time, our Lord Jesus came. Born of woman, born under law, that he may deliver us from the curse of the Lord and receive sonship. The word become flesh, tabernacle among men, full of grace and truth. Throughout the life of our Lord Jesus, how he pleased the Father. He said nothing out of himself. He did nothing out of himself. He was always under the timing of the Father's will. His face was towards Jerusalem. He came, he was born, not to live, but to die. And brothers and sisters, we all remember the scene of Gethsemane. He was a perfect man. By perfect man it means on the one hand he was sinless. He has never known what sin is. He has never committed any sin, even do not know what sin is. But being a perfect man, his feeling, his senses, his will, his soul life must be 100s, 1000s, millions times sharper than us. How must he feel when he was to become sin for us? The sin of the whole world heap upon him. The Bible said he was made sin for us. Not only bore our sin in a sense, but made sins for us. In the sight of God, he was sin itself. How terrible that is. No wonder how our Lord cannot stand it. And how he prayed, Lord, Father, if it's possible. But I come for this hour. Glorify your name. And in the God of Gethsemane, the Bible tells us how he was oppressed in his spirit. How much he was grieved in his soul. How he prayed until 
his sweat comes out at drops of blood. In agonizing. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but thy will be done. And brothers and sisters, when Judas came with the crowd to take the Lord, our Lord said, Must I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? He went to the cross. But as we have said, at 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, that was the time he was made sin for us. And God, who is the righteous one, the judge of the world, crush him, put him to death, sentence him, to death in order to proceed away for us. Brothers and sisters, what agony, what travail our Lord Jesus has gone through. And it is for you and for me. We are the fruit of the travail of his soul. Think of the Holy Spirit. The perfect person in the Godhead. How the Holy Spirit travailed. I often thank God when we are saved. What has God done for us? Probably our first thought will be, well, thank God my sins are rolled away. I am forgiven. I'm justified. Now I have peace in my conscience. Now I can face God. Now one day I will go to heaven. But brothers and sisters, these are the least of the grace of God in his salvation. Yes, thank God when I'm saved, not only my sins are forgiven, but he has given us his own life. Now the life of God, the life of Christ, is my life. He is here in me. Thank God for this life. And thank God. When he gave this life of Christ to us, at the same time, he put his spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes and dwells in our new spirit. The Holy Spirit comes as the guardian of the new life as the one who is responsible to bring that life into maturity, to see to it that we will be transformed and be like Christ. Anything that is not like Christ, he will judge. He will touch our conscience, make us uncomfortable until we are willing to repent and return to him. He is doing this great job day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, because he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is always there in us. For what reason? For only one reason. To see that the life, the new life, 
the eternal life, the life of Christ in us, will be given all the needed help to be brought into maturity. That is to say that we may be transformed and conformed to the image of God's beloved Son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now this is why the Holy Spirit is in us. And thank God, he said, the Holy Spirit would never leave us nor forsake us. Our Lord Jesus, when he was in the flesh, he had to leave us to return to the Father. But the another comforter of his life came and dwelt in us forever. Now, do you think that the Holy Spirit in you is free from travailing with pain, with suffering, with anguish. Think for a moment, brothers and sisters, since you are born again, since you have received the Holy Spirit, how much have you cooperated with the Holy Spirit. How much have you listened to the still small voice? How much were you walking in the light of life? How much you obey him? The Bible said, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Ephesians, Grieve not the Holy Spirit. How much we must have grieved him. If you try to add up all the griefs that we have piled upon him, what will happen? Humanly speaking, he will die. But he never died. We grieve him, he will not leave us, will not forsake us. Oh, brothers and sisters, how we grieve him beyond measure. We grieve him because we want to have our own way. We want to live our own life. We will not allow the life of Christ grow in us. We want to grow. Quench not the Holy Spirit, first Thessalonians. How much we have quenched him. We will not listen to him. Do you know when we are doing that? Not only the Holy Spirit will suffer in pain to bring forth, but we are the one who have the lost. Think of that. But no matter how we grieve him, no matter how we quench him, no matter how we disobey him, he won't leave. He is still here, in me, in you, continuing in his travailing pain in order to bring forth birth. Think of that. Brothers and sisters, when you think all the travails, all the sufferings that we have caused our Father, our Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, 
will or not that bring us to shame. as the fruit of the travail of his soul. What shall we do? On the one hand, it is not the right thing for us to do that we really appreciate all his travailing for us. giving ourselves totally to him, that love may complete his work. And on the other hand, is it not that we should try to cooperate with him in travailing? That is to say, whatever he travails for, we travail with him. And that's the reason why I feel this matter of spiritual travail is our portion. Every one of us must be involved. And may the Lord show us the way. How can we be involved in spiritual travail? And what will it mean to God and his purpose? Shall we pray? Dear Lord, we do sense that we are standing on holy ground. Lord, reveal thy travailing to each and every one of us here. Let thy travail give us strength to respond, not only to obey, but to follow. Oh, Lord, may the spirit of thy travail fall upon us, that we may become a people that will travail with thee for thy eternal purpose to be fulfilled. We are here offering ourselves to thee, for thou hast called us. We cannot do it, but thou art able to perfect it. We ask in thy precious name.